What is going down, my beautiful people? This is Alexander Mendeluk. This is Shayun Mendeluk with the Light Force Center podcast, bringing you ancient healing for the new earth. We cover the realest of the real as it relates to spirituality, conscious creation, conscious business, and powerful self-healing modalities from around the world. Giving you real-life tools to help you heal, awaken, and align with your truth and your purpose. The movement is rising, and it's time for us to bring the new earth into the now. I say, hey, I'll be gone today, but I'll be back coming around the way. It seems like everywhere I go, the more I see, the less I know. I know one thing that I love you, baby girl. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going down, my yes. beautiful people, with my brother here, Michael Franti? And we are going to dive into some beautiful things right now. He's going to play some music. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about inspiration. We're going to talk about music, consciousness, racism, and being nice and working hard, which is your new album that's out right now, correct? That's right. All right. You want to kick yeah. off again with a little music? Then we'll dive let's, in? let's do it. I've been a lot of places all around the way. I've seen a lot of joy and I've seen a lot of pain, but I don't want to write a love song. For the world, I just want to write a song about a boy and a girl. Say, hey, I'll be gone today. I'll be back coming around the way. It seems like everywhere I go, the more I see, the less I know. I know one thing that I love you. Welcome. Today, we have an incredible guest, the most special guest, an incredible human being, an incredible man, and somebody that I can now call a brother after being here in Bali. We've both been stranded out here together. I am with the incredible artist, musician, and friend, Michael Fronti. What's up, my man? Alex? Good thank to see you, you my brother. Here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, Michael has an incredible story, he's gone on an incredible journey, and you've been doing this for a very, very long time. Mm. Um, there's a lot of themes that we've been talking about, exploring, but like, let's just let it rip, and I think, yeah. you know, tell the people kind of about, you know, where you come from and what it took to get to where you are now. I'm a musician, and I've, uh, you know, for the past 33 years, made records, and I'm also a filmmaker, and I'm also a hotelier. And um, everything that I do is all about how it is that we can look inside ourselves and better understand who we are and then see other people and understand and allow them to be themselves. And um, I believe that there's no one that you wouldn't love if you knew their story. Mm. And um, the more that we are able to share each of our own stories and our own truths, the, the more um, it opens other people up to share, well, tell me about you and tell me your, you know, the depth of, of, of your experience. And um, I've, I've traveled around the world making music and uh, I'm also a father and um, a, a husband. And um, it's, you know, we're living in this time right now when all of us are being called to be our full selves mm -hmm. more than ever. You know, so that's why I bring up I'm, that I'm not just a musician. I'm, all, I'm also, a, you know, a parent and a, a real human partner. being. Yeah, and um, you know, it's been interesting being here with you <laughs> because, um, you know, we're in this place here in Bali 
where it's like is paradise, yeah. you know, physical paradise. Bali is a land of creative geniuses. The culture here is incredible. And yet um, we're in the middle of this pandemic and we're still feeling all of the fears and all of the pains and all of the concerns that the world is sharing right now. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in paradise and, and we're yet wherever you go, that's where you are, you right. know, and you take with you whatever it is that you brought on your journey. And um, all of us share that same thing, that none of us are perfect. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like coming to this understanding mm -hmm. is, I mean, this sounds, this sounds beautiful. Like, yeah. How did you even get to this realization? Even the concept of under, like that of if you understood somebody's story, then yeah. there's no way you can love them. Like, yeah. what was your story? Because it wasn't an easy one, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've gone through, you've gone through it. Yeah. Well, just to go right back to the beginning, my birth mother is Irish, German, and Belgian, and my birth father is African American and Nottaway Indian from the mountains of Virginia, and I was given up for adoption at birth because my mom felt like. Her family, she's you know being white. She felt like um, her family would never accept a brown baby because her father was so racist, wow. and so um, she carried me to, to full term without them ever knowing. Gave me up for adoption, and I was adopted by the Franti family, who are second generation immigrants to America from Finland, <laughs> and they had three kids of their own, and they adopted myself and another African American son, and just to round things out, I've got one brother who's a police officer and one sister who's a lesbian. No way. <laughs> so we're like the average American family, you know. <laughs> um, but um, growing up in such a mixed and unique family, uh, I looked different than my brothers and sisters, and and I. I felt differently, you know, my, my family I grew up in, who I, with, who I love dearly, I love all of them so much. Um, but at the same time, I didn't feel like I fit in most of the time. Mm. So as I grew and became an adult, um, I identified with that feeling of being an outsider. And I found myself drawn to people who who were those people, you know, kids who were ostracized by other kids or kids who were picked on or bullied a lot or, and then within society, the same thing, like feeling that um, sense of connection to, to groups of people who, whether it's because of their ethnicity or their sexual identity or <clears throat> whatever it is that made them stand out, that they were picked on or marginalized. And that's, why I've always made the music that I have, which is like about recognizing that different is beautiful. You know, different is beautiful. And um, that really at the end of the day, as I've, as I've traveled around the world, people are like, you know, they say that people are different in our skin colors by shades of one single protein in your strand of DNA of I don't know how many, you know, thousands or perhaps millions of combinations. There's like one single protein in there that determines your skin color. And, um, and the same thing is true of just the way that we live. You know, everybody lives in a little bit different style at home or whatever, but at the end of the day, we all want our kids to be safe. We all want to like have something fun to do on the weekend. We all want to eat and not go hung hungry. We all want shelter. We all have some form of celebration or dance or thing that we do. We all, 
you know, shed tears when our family members die. Um, and that little bit of it, you know, like if 99.9% .9 of everything that people are is pretty close to the same, that things that make us different, like the customs and the culture and the food and those little things, um, within that, you know, 0.1% of difference, that's what makes the world be great. Mm. That's what makes the world be unique and beautiful. And, and, and that's where the beauty is found. And, and that's been my message in my music all along is to like, that we don't all have to conform, you know, but that we can be this great fruit salad, you know, like a fruit salad, you know, you know, the, 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 the strawberry can still be a strawberry right next to the banana being the banana and the mango being the mango. But when they all, all those fruit combinations come together, we, we live, we, we feel this beauty of and deliciousness, deliciousness of life, you know. And have you always felt that way or is that something that you grew to understand? I think it's something that I, I grew to understand because I lived it, you know, I lived it in my family and in my house and, you know, our family was not perfect by any stretch and there was a lot of pain, certainly a lot of trauma there that all of us were exposed to. But um, I realized that it was possible for, for people to, to live together and to get along. And, and then as I got out into the world, I saw people who um, made incredible transformations in their life who were um, who thought the world is one way and I'm one of them I thought you know I had certain preconceptions about the world and and then I find out that the world isn't always as it seems mm -hmm. you know and in those moments that's also where you find the gifts you know when you think like oh man I, I totally had that wrong and then you go Oh, thank God I figured that one out. Yeah. That's that wow, what a gift to know that I was wrong and that there was something that's that's different, you know. That's such a beautiful outlook and I mean again, like you just kinda laid out all the 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 various like cultural backgrounds that you came from, you know, and you're saying like there's trauma growing up and, and whatnot. And so many people it's easy to fall into the trauma, into the mm -hmm. suffering and then that becomes them. Yeah. How Everything you do is so positive, like just being around you, you know, and like experiencing your energy, like no matter what you're going through, you, you're, all, you're always so chill, you seem so present, <laughs> at least you seem so present, yeah. and you're always, you're always expressing that in your music, you know, like trying to uplift people's souls, so what was that, was there a time, was there a shift? Did you ever have to make that choice, or did you just become that through, through it's, your experience? It's been like a, you know, a journey and an etymology, and, and I don't feel like that all the time. It's like, I feel in a constant state of turmoil. I feel like every day when I wake up, there's this battle in my head between incredible cynicism and doubt about mm. the world and about my role in it and, and this powerful sense of optimism and joy and, and um, that it's a, it's a muscle that you have to exercise to be able to be optimistic. And um, you have to have a, a belief that is based on not just faith that, oh, if I'm optimistic, things will be better, but you, you, you start to see it, you know? It's like, oh, we talked about this in the drive the other day, like Steph Curry shooting free throws, mm -hmm. and it's like, he's there, he's it's game seven in the finals, and he's up, three seconds left, and he looks over to the bench, he's like, hey, coach, I didn't practice, like, at all this year, you know? <laughs> and the coach is like, what, what? You know, but, like, if... But that's not the way Steph Curry is. Steph Curry steps up to the line, he's got his same routine, and he knows, like, I've done this, like, thousands and thousands of times 
to prepare for this moment of pressure. And that's how optimism is. It's like, if you just expect that when your life is really shitty, you're just gonna wake up and go pop and pop out of it and be like, cool, mm. you're not gonna get there. But if you practice it during times when things are challenging um, and learn to, uh, or practice it in times when things are good, then you, could, you have that skill and that mm. muscle built up for when things get really challenging, so. Um, and that's been through, you know, my practice of yoga. It's been through years of therapy. It's been through years of just self-reflection and wondering what, how, you know, what am I doing in the world and, and trying new things and falling on my face and getting back up. And, um, and, and but I, I have this witness inside of me that has seen that when I approach things with, um, a goal in mind of that there's going to be a positive outcome here that I get there more times than when I come into it with doubt. In fact, when I go right. in with doubt, it's like I never get there. You're fucked. Yeah. 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 And I think that there's, there's a, a thing that shifted in me maybe, you know, when I was in my early or mid twenties, which was like I kind of grew up being really self-effacing, just like, oh, I can't do this, or I'm not that good at that. And, and it was when I had a lot of negative self-talk that um, I was really unhappy and I kind of used it as like a protective device. Like, I don't want to get too excited because then if I fail, mm. there's like a big letdown. Instead of being like, well, if I go into it with a lot of excitement and enthusiasm, my chance of winning is like a lot better, mm. you know? And um, so that was like a big realization, you know, for me. And, and I think uh, a lot of it had to do with, with being um, a stage performer who went from always pointing the finger out to the world in my music initially about like, the world is fucked up, the government's fucked up, this is, this, you know, this corporation's doing bad shit. And then I started to realize like, hey, if I want to have, an effect on what's going on out there. I've got to look at my own shit and realize like, hey, maybe there are things in my life that I'm not really showing up for. And if I'm not showing up for them, how is it that I could expect that to happen on a macro level, you know? And, and then having to learn and grow and heal and, and like I said, do the therapy and the self-reflection um, that was required to to start to look at those issues in my life. And, and it really shit, like the more that I became self-aware, the more my music started to grow. And instead of just being about external things, it started to be about more personal things. And it started to be about the, expressing the full spectrum. You know, like this is the light force center. You know, it's mm -hmm. like there's a full spectrum of light, of, mm -hmm. of color in mm -hmm. light. Mm -hmm. Everything from absolute, darkness without any illumination to every spectrum of color in the rainbow to brilliant white light, mm -hmm. you know, and all of us have that within every single cell mm -hmm. of our body, you know, and so when we start to tune into that and start to say, wow, I can focus onto that brightness. I can focus into that light. And um, when I'm thinking about the future, I can learn to shift and say, oh, instead of a negative thought about the future, which is worry, I can, I can focus on a positive thought about the future, which is optimism. 
uh, or just a neutral thought about the future, which is planning, you know, and and so yeah, it starts to get easier after time, and and yet at 54, I still feel some days I'm a complete failure mm. you know, at, at doing that. So, but you're still yeah. showing up every day. Still trying to show up every day. Yeah. 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 So would you say that? So would you say that that awareness is that a, a choice? Yeah, it's it's definitely a choice, you know. Um, I still wake up every day and I go, "Why the fuck didn't I do that yesterday?" You know, like, "Why, Jesus, like it was there for me to do. It was right in front of my face. I should have done it, and I didn't do it." You know, and I still have those moments. Um, but I've learned techniques in my life to hack that a little mm. bit you know mm. um and some of them are just professional techniques like write shit down dude right you know like, <laughs> like if your stuff you want to get done write it down write it down check it off your list refer to the list a couple times during the day <laughs> check it at the end of the day okay you didn't get them all done don't beat yourself up there's tomorrow morning you can start you know there's those kinds of things but there's also um you know the way you've the way you talk about it's like your mapping of like what are the trouble spots in your life that are still holding you back that are still that you still need to heal from to be a complete person who's showing up for your life right now and you know for me the biggest those biggest um, trouble spots for me have just been um, not feeling loved as a kid who's given up as a baby you know and I'm a father to three incredible boys and uh, two of them are grown adult men and one is just about to turn two years old and I look at all of them and I'm like I was there when they were you know well I was obviously there when they were conceived <laughs> I was there when they were conceived I was there when they were born and and then I saw them you know I saw that process of going through that nine months of pregnancy and that baby arrives and that's what my mom went through and then after one hour she she gave me up you know and um and so throughout my whole life I've always felt like I wasn't wanted like as a kid and and it's been something that I've done a lot of work on on to heal but it's still like I said at 54 it's still one of those things that is still like uh uh a default mode in my mind you know it's a default mode that I'm that sometimes I you know my my subconscious shifts to in situations right. like where it's like oh I'm feeling insecure this person might not doesn't probably doesn't like me I'm unwanted here right right you know and instead it might just be like they they're just like dealing with some other shit right, you know what right. I mean they, yeah. it's, it has nothing to do with me you know but it's like a feeling that I get, you yeah. know? And, and so that's been uh, one of the journeys in my life. And then another journey has been being a, a kid of mixed ethnicity and, and being, having walked in both worlds. And, you know, in San Francisco, I live in a neighborhood that's 95% black, and I grew up in a neighborhood that was 95% white. And, um, you know, I'm mixed ethnicity, and I, I grew up in this family that was another ethnicity, and, and, and I didn't really have the support of parents who would, were sort of guiding me or showing me or, or just being that of, of that culture. So 
I kind of had to make up my own culture as a kid and just really try to be um, Michael, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm, I kind of at times would think of it as like, oh, I'm the first of my tribe and when I die, I'll be the last of my tribe. But then I had three kids and I was like, dude, you're not the last of your tribe. And you weren't even the first of your tribe because there was <laughs> your ancestors before you who have right. got you to this place where you are now, you know? And so just coming to grips and coming, coming to awakening to those things is, has been, you know, also a powerful um, journey of just embracing that, um, you know, I do have these, you know, internal things that are built into my DNA and they're passed on through the, you know, through the spirit of mm -hmm. my ancestors who, who have bestowed these, these traits in me. Um, but also that you're par also part of your conditioning and part of your life is how you grew up and how you were. And, and then part of your life is like, at a certain point you decide, oh, I want to eat with chopsticks instead of my fingers, or I want to, you know, I want to learn to ride a bike instead of walk all the time. And so you make, you make changes and you make adjustments. And, and that's how I kind of like view, um, you know, adulthood and, and waking up to trauma and, and being self-observant and self-aware is like, you, you start to see like, well, here's, you know, especially in marriage, you know, it's mm. like, whoever you get married to is there to be your button pusher. Yeah. Like, they're like, you're going to spend all, whether they, whether they, you, they signed up for it or not, it's like just by the facts that you're in the same spaces for a long it's amount gonna of time, happen. it's going to happen. They're going to push your buttons. How are you going to react? And then how do you react or, or how are you mindful, you know? And where do you find yourself in those places of reactivity and how can you, how can you switch it? And that's what I mean by like, at a certain point, it's like, oh, I get pissed off because, you know, whatever it is that, you know, Sara left her hair in the sink again or whatever, you know, or is it that, ah, oh, there's hair in the sink. I'm just going to get it out, put it away, you know, um, and, it's and a it's, micro conscious choice. Yes. Yeah. And it's that, that's that thing. It's like at a certain point, you just decide. I want to ride a bike. I want to eat with a fork or I want to like learn how to get through a doorway without beating it down and just use the handle. And, you know. Or I want to be positive or neutral in, in a situation yeah, yeah. instead of going to a default mode. Yeah. So I, this is amazing that you said this because I talk a lot about like programming and reprogramming the program that we all come from, you know, all of our experiences and that forms the impressions of our subconscious and then we're looking whether or not we realize that or not we're viewing the world through that subconsciously and consciously mm -hmm. right and and that i noticed that the, with the people that we work with even myself right like there there comes a point where you you become you shift from becoming like a bystander to experience mm -hmm. where just life's happening to you, you. Yeah. and then you be, then you become almost like then you become aware that certain things are taking place, right? And they still might affect you. And then you make a conscious choice to reprogram a different opinion or a different feeling or a different reaction or a different emotion. Again, going back, like, when did that shift happen for you? Was there a moment in time where you discovered something, where you had an awakening, where, like, you got hit in the head or like what well, this place? Uh, I mean, there's been, a, it's, it's never like one thing. It's right. always a series of things and, and a series of attempts and failures and getting back up and doing it. But, 
you know, we talked about this the other day when I was, uh, when I was 17. Um, my father was an alcoholic and, and uh, I came home late one time and he locked me out of the house and, and uh, I was ringing the doorbell and he said, who's there? And I go, it's me, Michael. And he wouldn't let me in. And he was like, if it was Michael, it was my kid, my kid comes home on time and you're 15 minutes late. And we got in this big argument and he was pushing me and my sister came into the, to the kitchen and grabbed every accoutrement and every glass and bottle of alcohol we had, threw it all in the garbage. And I ran out, I ran away from home. And I stayed away for a few days. And when I came back, a friend of mine whose dad had been in AA for a long time and who knew that my dad was an alcoholic, um, uh, led an intervention. And um, I uh, um, remember him saying to my dad, do you feel like you have a drinking problem? And my dad said, yeah, I'm an alcoholic and I have been for the last 15 years or something. And he goes, I don't give a shit if it kills me. And I looked at him and this is in front of all my, you know, there was five of us kids, my mom. And so uh, I said, well, I give a shit if, if it kills you. And I'm not gonna live in this house and just watch you drink yourself to death, you know, and take everybody else down with your, you know, the way you are. And, um, and he decided to stop drinking. And it was only a few months before I graduated from high school and left the house. So I didn't really get to see the whole evolution of him. Um, but many years later, he had a stroke. And it was like being well, I mean, sorry, being sick actually made him well. It was like this awakening happened in him. Um, and it was, you know, maybe 15 years, 20 years. I don't even know how long it was since he had stopped drinking. But um, he, he became this beautiful person who went from someone who would just sit in silence all the time and drink and just be hell of sarcastic and cynical and never really positive or optimistic about anything to being this super optimistic person who was kind to strangers on the street, who would stop and talk to people. I remember one time a woman, we were waiting to get into this crowded restaurant and there was a woman who was about to light up a cigarette and he said, hey, you mind if I talk to her? And he started talking to her for like five minutes and after uh, five minutes he goes, you know, I just noticed you haven't smoked your cigarette in five minutes. And she goes, you know, I've been trying to quit. And he goes, well, how about if we just talk a little more and you don't smoke? <laughs> <laughs> and and so she goes okay and he talked to her for about 10 minutes more while waiting to get in this restaurant and she said you know thank you like this is the first time I've ever really felt like I was in control of it like I could like I could control my actions you know and I just thought like wow here's my dad who was like this mean grumpy asshole for so many years of my life who was doing this really benevolent thing for a stranger and it made me realize that all of us are like cocooned, you know? None of us are like rotten to the core. Everybody is cocooned and sometimes we build these walls or stones or layers around us and cover it with shit and then put another brick layer around <laughs> it, you know? And, and that, but that inside that there's this, there's this butterfly of beauty and, and the way that it was described to me by my dad is, as, I, I went and had, it was the only time I ever had lunch with him by myself my whole life. Because, you know, five kids, you don't really get to have lunch with your dad very, very much. And, and, 
And uh, so, yeah, I went to him, and, and I, it was after he had his stroke, and, and I said, Dad, it seems like you've changed so much. And he said, I haven't changed at all. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like, here comes something. He's going to drop this big whammy on me. And, and he goes, what I mean by that is I've always felt this way inside. I've always been this, like, light, kind person. But I could just never show it before. I was never able to show it. I was, I was stuck in this, like, layer of crap. And, and now I'm able to shed it. And, and it was like a light, that was one of the things, like a light went off for me, where it was like, man, here I am in my music, pointing a finger at all the problems of the world, but everybody out there who's causing problems in the world is just that person who's stuck in their own shit. And if I'm pointing the finger at them, then I'm kind of doing, like maybe not doing the best service to help them get to where they want to be. And, and I'm also stuck in my own shit, mm. you know? And so it started making me think about, well, how do I take off my layers? And as I did, that's when my music started to evolve and I started to make songs that were more joyful. I started to make songs that were tearful. I started to make songs that were about love and connection, about confusion, about the world, and about trying to find light and mm. trying to find that joy. And, and how to move from the blues, you know, where it's like we're just stuck in our sadness and my baby left me, mm -hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing to the funk, which is like we've gone through the get blues up. and now we get up and we dance. Yeah. And now we zip it up and we, you know, we don't have to live with our heart hanging out all the time. Yeah. Sometimes you got to zip it up and go out in the world and face, you know, what the world requires every day with that joyfulness in, in heart, you know. So my dad is is one of uh, both actually both my parents uh, are really some of my biggest heroes because um not that they were perfect parents not that they were there all the time for me in the ways that i wanted or thought or expected they should be but that they were human and mm -hmm. they were vulnerable and they grew and they evolved and they made mistakes and especially my dad really made amends for those mistakes and and uh showed me that it was possible for anyone to change wow that's a beautiful story yeah. i really feel that thank you for sharing that mm -hmm. and is that where the stay human originates from yeah well it doesn't originate from there exactly but that's what it it is in summation you know um, i made an album in 2000 called stay human and it was all about the death penalty and and I I'm, I'm, have been, and, I'll, and I still am, against the death penalty. I don't believe any state uh, should be killing its citizens for any reason. And there's no justification even in the case of murder. Or if somebody murders somebody, now we murder them. Doesn't, doesn't jive to me. And especially in America where there's so uh, much racism built into the system, um, and if you're poor, you're way more likely to get the death penalty than if you have money. Um, and, um, but I made an album all about that. And then a few years ago, I was making this film, traveling all around the world. The film is called Stay Human. And meeting people who um, reminded me of how to hold on to my humanity in times that were just totally 
crazy. Like, for example, this couple, um, Steve and Hope December, who Steve is living, was, was living, he just recently passed away. He was living at very advanced stages of ALS, which is one of the worst diagnoses you get. One day you wake up and your finger doesn't work, and a week later your hand doesn't work, and then your arm, your legs, and eventually you're completely paralyzed. You can't speak anymore. Um, Steve could only move his eyes, and, and uh, he'd communicate through blinking or through subtly moving his lips to form words. And I was like, man, here he is with his wife, Hope, and they still have the most loving, fun relationship. And if I was in Steve's condition, I, I don't even know how I would do it. I, I feel so claustrophobic if I'm sitting in a car for too long. Right. Let alone being stuck in my own body in that way and not being able to move. And yet here was Steve, this brilliant, bright light who was sharing so much of his wisdom and love with everyone around him. And, and, it, um, and so the film is all about stories of just people who I've met along the way who inspired me because they were able to get through challenging times and still hold on to their humanity. And, and that's what the stay human messages to me is like like i mentioned before there's no one you wouldn't love if you knew their story mm. and that all of us um none of us are born perfect and that's the one thing that we all have in common is mm. that none of us are perfect mm -hmm. and um, the more that we learn about ourselves the more that we share with others we find that we are what we um we, we become what we focus on. We become what we think. And, and that if we focus on light and friendship and love and happiness and connection and healing, you will become that. You focus on darkness and fear, you become that. And, um, and so the message of Stay Human is just to be able to see, recognize the human in yourself and with all its light and dark and and then to be able to see others and accept them. And that's how we stay human, is to be able to accept others for who they are. Wow, that's beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that. And there's this, there's this important time, I remember in your story, you were talking about pointing the finger, right? Mm -hmm. And that was with your music and maybe your outlook in life. And I think I remember you talking about, maybe it was in, you went over to, you were on tour, you were at a friend's house, or you went, maybe it was in Africa, you went to somebody's house and you were gonna play some music. Yeah. And and they kind of flip the script on you, yeah. right? Yeah. And maybe you could talk about that story and that change, because then you shifted sure. your dynamic. Yeah. And, and I also think that there's this back tone of right now, which is going on in the States and the world where everybody's pointing the finger at everybody mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Maybe we can draw some yeah. parallels with that. Yeah. Well, um, in 2004, I went to Iraq when the war had just started. The war was 11 months in, and I was on our tour bus one day, and. Uh, we were watching these generals and politicians on TV talking about the economic cost of the war and the political cost of the war and the hardware of machinery of bombs and missiles and shit. And I said, you know, why don't they ever talk about the human cost of the war? Like, I've never seen one human being interviewed who's just like the guy on the street. And so my friend was like, well, why don't you go to the streets of Baghdad and find out? And wow. he was just joking, and I called my manager. I was like, hey, I want to go to Baghdad. She was like, uh, okay, let me find out. And so I flew in this to Amman, Jordan, and we flew and got in this 16-passenger airplane and flew to um, Baghdad. And play, I played music for people on the streets, and Iraqi civilians. Wow. And one of them, these families invited me into their home, and 
And I said, you know, what was it like when we were bombing Baghdad? And it was still going on. Like the bombing was still happening um, every night. And <clears throat> he said, and you were well, there in it with it going there on. In it, yeah. And you were like, yeah. fuck it, I'm in. Yeah. And so uh, they said that when the bombing happens, that they would go into their basement and they would put blankets over the children and they put them in the middle of the floor in the room. And I was like, well, what's a blanket going to do if a five-ton bunker buster bomb drops on your house, you know? And they said, well, the reason we do that is because all the glass shatters and comes and it lands on us. And I had just never really thought of it that real of like, well, what would I tell my children? You know, what would I tell my three sons who were going to sleep? And how would I describe, like, you know, would I tell them the truth that we're being bombed or would I try to make up some magical story about something to just you know like oh tonight there's going to be these loud noises and it's just it's fireworks or it's or it's this monster or it's this you know what like what is the story that i would tell my baby child or would i just say we're being bombed by this other country who doesn't like us or fears us or something you know like, how would you, how would you explain that you know and so I started, I told them I wanted to sing them a song and the, world, it's, the song is called Bomb the World and the lyrics say, we can bomb the world to pieces but we can't bomb it into peace. And so I sang this song and, I, and I, I, I thought that they would really be like, oh man, this guy gets us, he gets our situation. But at the end of it, he was like, yo man, how dare you come into my house and sing this song about peace and not bombing and shit like that. When your fucking country is bombing me tonight, like when you leave, and go to your hotel, our neighborhood is going to be vulnerable, you know. And, um, and I was floored. I was like, man, I'd, I'd never thought about it like that. And he was like, why don't you sing us songs that make us laugh or that make us dance or cry or, or sing or like somehow like feel this emotion release that we are you know, we're so stressed out. What we need. And we need to like have some release. And so I did. So I sang, sang songs that made him dance and laugh and sing. And we all sang together. And when I got back home, I thought that I was going to write like 10 angry songs speaking out against war. But I didn't. I wrote songs about human connection. I wrote songs about healing. And I wrote songs about love. And I wrote songs about families. And I wrote songs about our fears and our dreams. And and it really made me think differently about the way that music affects people, that there is a time for us to stand up and go, yeah, there's injustice in the world and I'm gonna be the first to tell you about it and I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna raise my voice. But there's also a time when you go, there's injustice in the world and I feel hurt, mm -hmm. it makes me wanna cry. You know, when I see George Floyd with the, getting his, you know, his neck stomped on for eight minutes and 46 seconds so the life is sucked out of him, it makes me want to cry, mm -hmm. you know. And when I see that we have some small victories, it makes me want to get up and dance. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to live my life as a robot of just trying to point out all the things that are bad in the world. What, what I'm trying to do when I point out that things are messed up is I'm trying to bring about um, healing so that they can be better and so that more people can feel that sense of, of joy equity of opportunity and um, and and happiness you know wow <laughs> that story makes me emotional man like listening to that thank you yeah. 
like literally like I'm, I'm feeling the emotions of, of that experience and how powerful like that must have been. It's so beautiful to hear this expressed, not only just in front of another human being, you know, you know, as a brother, like hearing yeah. your story, but also as an artist, as a musician, as somebody out there who's doing it, you know, still mm -hmm. to this day, I think that the world needs more of this, this message, you know, and yeah. now obviously being a black man and experiencing all that you have, social injustice, all the things you're talking about, expressing in your mu music, you've made a choice to focus on the positive yet not shy away from the things that need change. Mm -hmm. How do you see um, that playing out in the world today and somebody who wants to get involved, whether it's, you know, with Black Lives Matter or, or you know, trying to find their own voice mm -hmm. in a sea of confusion, you know, yeah. like, for example, being white, you know, speaking to some of these issues, like listening to your story, you said there's, there's one protein that makes the skin uh, that color. I listen to your story, it doesn't matter what color my skin is, I don't, I can, I'm resonating with it. Mm -hmm. Like fundamentally, I think anybody who's listening to this understands these fundamentals. Unfortunately, there's a program um, that is, is completely distorts that, mm -hmm. that reality. And so it can, it can make you feel, especially being on, on this side, like how do I even approach this conversation? Mm -hmm. I don't wanna hurt you, I don't wanna hurt somebody, but I also wanna express myself mm -hmm. or I wanna, I want to do my part. Like, how do we play? How do we, how do we get to dance in this? You know. Well, there are those who, throughout history, have have used um, skin color and ethnicity as a tool to divide people, to marginalize people, to use people as cheap labor, to use people um, uh, to oppress people, um, and uh, that system is. Is a, is a, it is, it's a system that's set up. It's racist. It's real. <laughs> it's real. And it's, it's been And it's intentional. It's intentional. And it's programmed. Right. And so what we've all got to do is, first of all, become aware of that and understand the historic, um, you know, laws that were put into place, practices that were put into place, um, and know the history. And then be, we have to be anti-racist. We have to not just be not good enough anymore or never was good enough but it's to just say oh well I'm not down with that it's like you have to be in opposition to it mm -hmm. you know um, it's like saying oh you know I'm not down with Nazis but it's okay if they if they exist right you know? it's not okay <laughs> you know right. it's like we have to be actively fighting against that form of hate and we have to find ways that bring about systemic solutions and ways that bring about a change of people's attitudes. Mm -hmm. and, and the two go hand in hand. If you don't have enough people to change their attitude and change their mind and change their feelings about the way other people are, um, it's hard, really hard for to, get, to get them to wake up to, mm -hmm. to certain realities and then make systemic changes to you know, passing laws mm -hmm. to make difference. Mm -hmm. um, and then the same thing goes in reverse. If you can't pass these laws, then people's minds don't change. They're not, you know, sometimes it, it requires a law to, to change the way that people practice in the world. Um, so, so, so you feel that, that lawmaking actually shifts consciousness, that's can, a part of it. It can, you know, if, if it's like people, if there's lynching going on and you never 
try or convict anybody or like in this case of, right. of police brutality going on and we see these cops shooting people all the time unarmed civilians boom boom in the back seven times and they don't arrest them and then when they get arrested they don't get tried or if they get go to trial they get off it's yeah. like and we see it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again so the, there has to become like a shift in consciousness that this isn't okay. Like yeah. this is not normal, even right. though it feels like it's been going on forever. It shouldn't be the way that it is. So one part is the government has yeah. got to lead that. Yeah. So and, sometimes and you got to pass laws right. to right. say that, but also to get the government to that point, we have to shift consciousness yeah. we have to ch change people's minds. I want to dive yeah. into this cause you, this is coming up now. It gives me chills cause I think about this so often and I want to bring also back to that experience of your father and that woman mm -hmm. smoking is that, the, the concept of you've got to stand up for what's right, mm -hmm. right? You can't put your head in the sand. Yeah. There's also this concept of polarities that like, we don't like the dark, so we want to exist in the light. Mm -hmm. But then if we also spend all of our time trying to just pursue the light, yeah. then it can be just as actually uh, destructive sometimes yeah. as, ju as, as just being one way or the other. So there's this, there's this spiritual law of neutrality or, or, or balance or what I like to say, harmony. I love the analogy of, of like the guitar where it's like each string, right, creates a chord when played in a different, in a different way. An A alone or an E alone is just going to be boring, right? Like you can't play a song just strum. I mean, I guess you yeah. could, but it's, nobody's going to really want to listen to yeah. it. But those, those different chords are, it's almost like the different, vibrations of humanity and who we are mm -hmm. and culture and all that and when played in tune creates a beautiful harmony creates mm -hmm. a beautiful song it's like the celebration of harmony right there's this concept of like fighting against hate mm -hmm. does that perpetuate more of that it depends on how you fight if you're out there trying to fight you know physical fist fight you're, you're not going to create mm -hmm. mindfulness or, or a shift in consciousness but there's things that sometimes people got to do to wake up the rest mm -hmm. of the world to like, hey, I'm here. You can't fucking trample me anymore. Right. You know, and sometimes it doesn't always look pretty, you know. And um, yet, if our goal ultimately is to find ways to communicate with people, if we find that our message isn't landing, mm -hmm. then you have to shift your tactics mm -hmm. and go, okay, well, how can I make this message land a little better? Um, and, and have it be heard more clearly. And, and that's what activism really is. Activism is communication. You know, I remember uh, during the first um, Gulf War in 1991 or 92, there was a group of us activists from San Francisco who went out onto the Bay Bridge and we protested the war and we said, we're shutting down the bridge and it got on the news of anti-war protesters are here. They, They've, and, and we got on camera and got to tell our side of the story. And then um, years later, when the second war in Iraq happened in 2004, protesters did the same thing. And it just got reported on the nightly news as a, as a um, traffic report. There's some protesters on the bridge. There's a traffic delay with more, more news at 630. <laughs> and that's it, you know. And it was like, well, now the protesters got to change the tactics mm. to do something different that's going to get in front of people's faces and eyes and that's the thing is i, I always say measure your your protest by your progress mm. you know like measure your protest by your progress it's like if what you're doing and protesting is achieving the results that you want 
then great, keep doing that. But if it's not, then you have to learn to shift gears and find a new way to communicate. And you gotta be nimble and you gotta be smart and you gotta be creative and you've gotta use humor and you've gotta use music and you've gotta use the courts and you've gotta use laws. And, it's and, all of it. Yeah, and, and uh, um, Sean King in his new book, um, Make Change, uh, talks about how all of us if, you, if you're a thinking person, there's 50 things in the world that you should be pissed off about and, and, and aware of, you know, the destruction of the oceans, racism, sexism, gender bias, you know, pedophilia. Uh, so, so many things. Yeah, pedophilia, like there's, there's like 50 things out there. But if any of us tried to attack all those 50 things at once, we would completely fail and we'd feel miserable. And that's how most of us feel on a daily basis. We pick up our phones, we read the news, we go, the world is a shit show. I can't possibly fix this situation in whatever place. So I'm just gonna bury my head in the sand and move on, you know? Um, but what he describes in his books is choose one or two things that you are passionate about. And it doesn't have to be the same things that I'm passionate about. In fact, it's better if they aren't. Like if I'm passionate about the Black Lives Matter movement and I'm passionate about, um, you know, the, uh, the oceans and the reefs being destroyed, you can be passionate about um, two other issues, you know. And now I can do my work once a week, dedicate two hours or whatever it is to my issues. And then you can help to amplify mm. by sharing what I'm doing, telling more people about it. Hey, if you're curious about what's going on with this, go check out Michael Franti. Mm -hmm. And then if you, your issues are whatever they are, I can say, oh, you're, you're concerned with you know, education and you're concerned with um, a lack of funding for arts or something like that. I can amplify your message and share what you do. And I can tell people, oh, you're concerned about education? Go check out my man, Alexander, he's the guy, mm. you know? And so all of us can find that one or two things that we're concerned about and dedicate a, a portion of our life. Say, like, you know, one or two hours a week, we are gonna, we're gonna do something real, tangible, or donate, or do something that, that makes a difference. And, and then with the rest of our time, we just help to amplify other people who who are working diligently on the other messages that we're concerned about. That's beautiful because I always like talking about, you know, the macro and then actually like the micro things that we can do. So for somebody who might not have the voice, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're saying one of the things that sharing people who do, mm -hmm. who have that authority or have yeah. that perspective and yeah. amplifying their voice is a, yeah. is a powerful and easy way to get involved in something that you care about now. And being an ally, you know? Being an ally. And then also... That's beautiful. And then also just self-reflection, you know? Just like all of us looking at the ways that our lives benefit from injustice or benefit from the pollution that we see out there. You know, it's like all of us are concerned about pollution, yet we fly in airplanes. We drive on motor scooters. We, we fill our purchase tanks things. We fill our tanks up. We, we use electricity. We, you know, it's like... And so there's ways that we find that we can um, try to reduce those things, become more conscious of them, support companies that are doing things differently so that we, um, through what we consume, we're, we're contributing to 
moving the needle away, away from that you know, dirty way of doing things and into a cleaner way. And none of us are perfect. That's the other thing is like, we're not all gonna wake up and flick a switch and suddenly be perfect. So it's like, don't beat yourself up and then also be conscious of not beating other people up right. along the way. You know, Try to t help people find their growing edge mm. by finding your growing edge. Wow. And then say, hey, well, this is a realization I had today. I want to share, share it with you. you. you know? yeah. well, and then I, maybe they go, yeah, I, I kind of I kind of connect with that. You yeah. Know? Why well, your father in that story is popping up in my head is like he could have gone up to that woman and said, you know, you shouldn't be smoking right now. Yeah. That shit's going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. And she would have been like, ah, oh, fuck you and kept smoking. Yeah. But instead he had compassion. Yeah. And through his experience of addiction, he was able to see that in her and invite her into a conversation instead. Yeah. And that energetic shift, I feel, is like such a beautiful, powerful metaphor, yeah. like for how we should can choose to approach yeah. life, yeah. giving people another alternative to their pain, to their suffering. Like you said, seeing that they've all, everybody's got that story, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I think one of the most, and it, I hate even talking about it, but you know, it's so true. It's like, since having a child and, and all of the sex trafficking and things, have been like, and the pedophilia have been rising to the surface, it's like the systems are beginning to open and reveal like mm -hmm. the dark truth of what's really going on on our planet. It, it, it's something that's so prevalent in, in, in my mind when I think about, you know, having a child and how could this evil exist, mm -hmm. you know, how could this even take place? And as somebody who's helping people heal from sexual trauma all the time, mm -hmm. it's in my face and I see it, never, thank mm -hmm. God have I experienced it, but, you know, I'm witnessing it through the individuals that we work with. And, and you think that like even the person who afflicts the most horrific experiences on, on the most innocent people in life, mm -hmm. like children, you know, that was learned somewhere. You yeah. don't, you're not born with a default program of hate and abuse. Like that was taught, you, that individual most likely experienced it and therefore became uh, distorted yeah. and began to create this karmic cycle and the karmic cycle is really a, you know, a big yeah. thing that's, that's at play here. And so it's like, how do we have that understanding and compassion in, even in the face of like the worst atrocities, mm -hmm. like individuals being stomped out and murdered in the streets, yeah. you know, like. Well, they say that hurt people hurt people. Mm. People who've been hurt, hurt other people. And so that's, a opportunity for all of us to look at the places that we've been hurt and then recognize how our hurt hurts other people and when we can start to do that then we can begin to like have empathy for somebody who maybe has done something that is more extreme than the things that we've done in our life you know like I hurt my wife's feelings every day you know you know, I don't try to, but there's something and sometimes it's a really big hurt sorry, feeling sorry. <laughs> and sometimes it's just a little hurt feeling. Right. You know? But, um, but I do. And she hurts my feelings every day too. There's something that she does that rubs me the wrong way. Or sometimes she'll say something that was really rude or even intentionally rude, you know? And, and yet I don't give up on her and she doesn't give up on me, you know? And, and that's the thing that I've, that I've learned, you know, especially from my father, was that there's nobody who isn't worth saving. There's nobody who, there are people who aren't ready, 
Mm-hmm. They're not ready to let go of their shit. They're not ready to um, be have take accountability for them for what they've done in their lives. But um, they're always there's always a an opportunity at some point for people to heal. And you know, I've seen I've played in I've I've played in a lot of prisons, and I've seen people who have done really bad shit that are really beautiful people. Mm-hmm. You know, this one guy I played in Folsom Prison, and, and I said, "What's it like here? He'd been there for a long time." Uh, you know, decades, and he goes, prison is like a pressure cooker, and if you are a dark person and mean and, you know, you know, malicious in your mind, it will, it will pressure cook you into a monster, like the meanest, darkest person you could ever imagine. But if you're a person who is kind, and if you're a person who has light, and if you're a person who he was, he was, a, uh, he'd become a teacher in prison. He was teaching other young kids who came into prison who were adults who couldn't read. He was helping them with their cases. He was t- teaching them law. He was doing all this stuff. And he's like, it cooked me into this person that I never was before. Wow. He goes, when I was on the outside, I was a dick. And I'm in here, I learned how to be a, 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 somebody who loves other people, cares for other people. And I was like, wow, man. And here I am looking at you thinking that I'm better than you because I'm not locked up. And, but there's stuff in my life that I've done that I could have been locked up for, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I just didn't get caught yeah, at that moment when I did that stupid thing, you know, right. when I was a teenager or whatever, you know? Um, and, and, and then you've got the whole, you know, the war on drugs, which was a, an effort to, to keep black people down, systemically down. Yeah. If you watch uh, Ava du- DuVernay's brilliant film, The 13th, about the 13th Amendment, it talks about, about that, how it, the war on drugs was really a, a war to um, criminalize mm-hmm. um, black drug activity and black drug sales when white drug sales were allowed to go free oh, and yeah. went through the roof and they're making money from making it. money still and to this day. still to this day yeah and and so um a lot of times we see people who are incarcerated and we think like they're somehow bad people but they're really just the same as as you and i maybe they've done something that you know i've sold drugs before you know i've sold my friends weed i bought weed from this room sold it that part. i've done that before there's people in prison for tw- 25 years for doing that. Even though it's legal now. Even though it's legal they're now. Still, they're, they're still, still there. there yeah. you know? And so not everything that we see is as it appears. You know? and, and when we really look at other people and say, hey, um, I, I, I don't get who you are. It's like if you take the time to listen to their story, you understand it. And that kind of brings us back to full circle where we started, which, mm-hmm. is, which is like, there's no one you wouldn't love if you knew their story. So remove that projection. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's, and again, that's where we get into all these things of, of racism and like our minds. We we do this coding in our mind, in order for us to like, live. And mm-hmm. Like we see a red light, we stop, you know. And the same thing goes for our mind. Just kind of goes into these default patterns of, oh, I see a white dude with long hair. He must be a hippie. Mm-hmm. You know, or I see a black guy on the street, maybe he's going to rob me because we've seen that on TV over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, 
but those things are, are these default modes that, that as we do the work of anti-racism, you start to see those things as um, for what they are. You know, you start to be able to approach situations differently. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's, it's ironic that it's like taking a, sitting in front of a camera and having like a podcast to have like, this is the realest conversation I think I've, I've had in a long time on this level. It's really been beautiful to like to hear your perspective, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And so you've got a badass new album out. Yeah. And it's crushing it. It's crushing it. Yeah. Work hard. Work hard be and nice. be nice is the name of the record. And, and that was just like a, um, that's, I guess, I guess it all, that sums up the values that I have and that my, that the family I was raised in really taught me it was, it was like work hard, like don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and, and try your best at something and fail and get knocked down and get back up, you mm. know? And like, you have to have a certain level of toughness to, to survive in the world and to thrive and to do the things that you want. And as an artist, like you're given this giant canvas that's the entire earth. Well, what are you going to do? What's your medium going to be? And how are you going to get there? And, and how are you going to acquire the things that you need, the physical things and the partnerships and the relationships that you need to make your art and your voice, you know? And, and then be nice is the other part of it. It's like, that's the, 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 the thing that lubricates it all. Mm. It's like, if you're kind to other people, um, you make their lives better. And if you kind to other people, they're more likely to make your life better. And it all, everything works better and you do that. And um, I see that those values in America right now are just have been so eroded, you know, like the fact that we're separating children from their families who are seeking asylum in America and then putting them in jail, mm. separating from their families, putting them in jails and then not even keeping paperwork to find out where their parents are. And then, uh, um, what do you call it? I want to say, uh, deporting, deporting their parents and then the parents can't get back to find their kids. You're, you're just, you're just snatching children out and putting them in this, in prison. Like what is, what is one hour in a closet due to a kid? Now imagine like years of forced separation from their families and not even know. What does that do to people? And yet people go on the news every night and justify it. Mm. Oh, well they shouldn't have come here. They should have known the rules and like, it's like they were, if you know, in order to like flee your home with everything that you have on your back, you have to either have to be in, in a situation that is, um, you have to be in some situation that is so intense that yeah. you, you're willing to leave the people that you're closest, you're willing to leave your home to try to make it be better. You know, and that to me is what America was founded on. That's what the Statue of Liberty says, give us your poor, give us your hungry, you know. It's what, why people always came to our country and that's what made our country great. It's what made our country more beautiful. And, um, and yet here we are in 2020 and people are on the news trying to say that that's okay and it's, it's not. And as the world, the population of the world grows and as climate change affects 
different areas where people are no longer able to live, there's, we're going to see more and more mass migrations. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see more and more economies ruined by right now by COVID. And people are going to go seek a better life in someplace else. And, and we have to come to grips with that. And we have to learn that there's enough here on the earth for all of us to share. And, and that to help our brothers and sisters is to help ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the one thing that I've seen from, um, from COVID, if you think, you know, we, we, we often say that the world is connected. We're all one, you know, mm -hmm. and it's one it's love. A, it's one love. And it's, it's a nice thing to say. It's yeah. very sweet to say, but one person breathed one breath onto one other person in Wuhan, China, and that single breath spread around the entire planet infecting millions of people with this virus to the point where we can't even walk outside right now without a mask on. And if that doesn't show you that how connected mm. we are, nothing will, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, that one single act of kindness can do the same thing. Mm -hmm. One single um, thing of where there, was a, where there was a misunderstanding and someone took the time to say, Hey, well, well, let me try to understand where you're coming from. Oh, I get where you're coming from. Come on in. Like, I w welcome you into my space and into my energy. One single act of kindness like that can do the same thing, can, can send ripples around. And that's what the world is, I believe, is calling for all of us to do right now. It's like, hit the pause button, motherfuckers. Mm. <laughs> like, like, stop. Your shit is getting out. You've encroached on nature so much that diseases that were once isolated only in nature are now affecting human beings. And so now everybody needs to pause and say, how am I showing up for my health, for the health of my families, the communities, the country, the planet? And what can I do to be an agent for good, an agent, an agent for love, an agent for change, an agent for healing, an agent for... Um, all of these things and um, and then the world can start going and, and I really believe um, you know I'm not like a mumbo-jumbo spiritual kind of person I'm like a practical person and I believe that the world is practically asking us please stop for a fucking second and think about the way you are treating the planet and treating each other so that we can get things on the right track. Just be nice. Just be nice. It is yeah. simple, actually, when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. Wow. That's a beautiful message, brother. Yeah. And thank you for distilling that, because I think it, it's so easy to get lost in all of the confusion of everything, to feel like you can't do anything. It's so easy to get lost in all of, like you said, the mumbo-jumbo stuff about mm -hmm. this, you know? Being hyper-spiritual and disconnected from reality, disconnected from what's going on, when at the end of the day, like, it is down to us, and it sounds so cliche, right? That, you know, people think, oh, I'm just one person, what can I do? But that's exactly what you can do, and yeah. that we can't even, we can't think about creating conscious solutions. We can't, you know, save the rainforest or change the election or, you know, you know create peace just by ourselves, by willing it, you know, that's all outside of ourselves, but. I do see that the one, the single most important thing, which I feel like you're saying, is that we can make that 
conscious choice ourselves every single day to show up and be nice and to treat other people well. Yeah. And that actually is the most powerful thing yeah. that can be done. It's the only thing that yeah. we can do. And that one, your one expression every day or those, those millions of expressions in every conversation and every moment does create those ripple effects and does affect consciousness. And from that state, then we begin to start even beginning to perceive or see or understand what the solutions might be, but that solution's got to come within, right? Yeah. And work hard because it's hard work. Yeah. You know, it's fucking hard yeah. work to sit and, and be really in mindful self-reflection and try to figure out how am I showing up and, and, and wanting to be different. And it's also sometimes it's soft work and sometimes it's, it's fast and requires a lot of energy work and we've really got to hustle and, and sometimes it's, um, it's, it's, it's quiet work, you know, but it's, it's, it's all, it work is really to me is just means like intentionality, you know, it's like, I'm going to focus on something. Here's what's got, I've got, I've got to do and I'm going to go after it with, mm -hmm. with intention, you know, um, but the methods are different. Sometimes it requires, sometimes it requires softening. Sometimes yeah. it requires listening. Sometimes it requires showing up in a way that we're not used to. And, um, and that's, that's really what I think is the big piece to what's happening in the world right now is all of us just waking up to that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Hell yeah, bro. So for people who want to listen to your music and maybe yeah. come and find you, what's the best place? Well, these days, uh, you can go to you can go to Michael Frontin Instagram. That's the main one, or you know, Facebook as well. Um, MichaelFrontin.com. You can find out all the online performances that we're doing. We've been really embraced it. the online show. Rocking man. it. The Soul Rocker fan base all around the world is tuning in. You know, <laughs> tens of thousands of people are watching these uh, live concerts that we're doing. It's really fun. Um, come on out to. Soulshine Bali Hotel, which Woo! is our hotel here yes, in Bali. Yes, if you are in Bali, you've got yeah. to check them out. Um, we've just opened a new day club out there, and uh, we've got all the, the yoga rooms. and A uh, badass slide. A badass water slide, <laughs> um, which is a part of just what we believe in. It's like when you do that, all the deep spiritual work and emotional work, you have to have the other side. It's like you said, you go into the shadow side, now we go to the light side, go to the fun side. Go down the water slide, slide dance, Have eat fun. some good food, you know, <laughs> um, and, 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 and zip it all up and have that completion so that when you walk out uh, into the world, you're ready to face everything again. Enjoy your life. Um, so that's it. And uh, the film is called Stay Human. It's on iTunes and as well as the album Work Hard and Be Nice. We'll put and you can hear down. the song I Got You. It's on the radio in the States yeah. right now. It's at number two on AAA radio all across the country. You gonna play something for us? Yeah. We'll all right, it. let's play. Let's yeah. play something. All right, well, let's end with with your music, brother. And again, thank you so much, dude. I love I you. Know. I love you so love much. You too, thank man. you so much, yeah. bro. Thank you. All right, let's go. All right. I got a feeling deep within my soul. And right now, I really need to let you know that each time I've fallen down inside that hole, Fly higher, see clearer, burn brighter, feel more than we ever did before. Yeah, we can swim oceans, climb mountains, dance like nobody's watching.
live life like we never did before. Through the highs and lows, baby, I got you, yeah. And you got me, yeah, baby, I got you, yeah. And you got me, yeah, Alex, I got you, yeah. And you got me, yeah, baby, I got you, yeah. And you got us, yeah. Life Force Center. We love you. Peace. Ow!